Our text for tonight are out of Joshua or 2 Kings 22 and 2 Chronicles 35. Joshua at Megiddo. 2 Chronicles 34, verse 1. Josiah was eight years old when he became king, and he reigned 31 years in Jerusalem. And he did what was right in the sight of the Lord and walked in the ways of his father David. He did not turn aside to the right hand or the left. That's good testimony, right? 31 years doing what was right in the sight of the Lord, starting at a young age and following the Lord. And Josiah lives way down the chart from King David all the way down. He's still referred to as son of David. Uh, way down, almost northern kingdom has already been taken captive and gone. Israel, ancient Israel was gone. And during the time of Jeremiah, uh, Jeremiah was alive and prophesying during the time of Josiah, and um, almost towards the end of ancient Judah as a nation. So now to our text for this week, 2 Chronicles 35, verse 20. After all this, and the all this encompasses all that we've been covering in, in this series on Josiah. After this, where he sought the Lord at a young age, where he cleansed the temple and repaired the temple, where they found the book of the law and he read it to the people, where he destroyed the idols in Judah and Israel. He held a Passover and invited even the, the remnant of those that were left in the north in Israel. He invited them to come and he did a second cleansing of the land and not only in Judah, but also in Israel, which is technically outside his territory. He went up there and cleansed the land there as well. As well. He prepared the temple. He, he set up the singers and the worship services and, and the sacrifices in the temple and reinstituted that so that people can have forgiveness of sins through the sacrificing of the, of the lambs, uh, pointing forward to the sacrifice of the Messiah. And so he provided the way of salvation and removed the distractions of the false idols and the false gods. So a fabulous king working marvelously, uh, especially after the uh, short time of his father who did horribly and the long time of his grandfather Manasseh who did horribly and brought in all these idols and, and, and sin after good years of King Hezekiah. Josiah comes and restores the nation back to worshiping God. And again, an outreach and reaching out to others as well. And so after all of this, Necho, king of Egypt, came up to fight against Harmesh by the Euphrates, and Josiah went out against him. And so now to get a perspective of the distance from Egypt to the Euphrates, so the, the red line on your left is the Nile River, the red line on your right is the Euphrates River, and then right in the middle is Israel, and then this red line on the bottom is just showing that is the extent of the land that was promised to Abraham. From river to river was the promised land, the full promised land. And so there's bickering and fighting over the tiny, tiny, tiny little pieces of land uh, really, God has promised much, much bigger. And interestingly enough, the dimensions of the New Jerusalem fit within this square. And so God is going to fulfill his promise when he brings the New Jerusalem down and it's going to overfill Israel. 
it's going to fill Jerusalem, it's going to squash Jerusalem, it's going to squash all the hill, and all of the, all the rest, portion of Egypt, all of Jordan, port of Saudi Arabia, half of Iraq, most of Syria, Lebanon, and, and Cyrus, Cyprus, and, and part of the Mediterranean Sea is all going to be under the new Jerusalem and the foundations. That's the promised land. That's going to be the city. The world will be the promised land, and the city will be in what God had promised to Abraham. So anyway, so for Nacho, king of Egypt, to come and fight in the Euphrates River against this other king, he had to go through Israel. As you see this small little segment there, and come up the coast of Israel. And um, because he couldn't go through Saudi Arabia, it's all desert, couldn't go through Jordan, it's all desert. And so they would always go up over, and that's what's called the Fertile Crescent, along the top above Israel, up into Lebanon, modern day Lebanon, modern day Syria, and down into Iraq. And that's also how Babylon came and attacked. And Assyria came and attacked. They come over that fertile crescent and then down into Israel. And so for the king of Egypt, he has to go through Israel to go and to attack um, Harmash in, um, on the Euphrates River. And so doing that, he passes through Israel. And Josiah goes out to attack him as well. But Nacho said, sent word to Josiah saying, what have I to do with you, king of Judah? I have not come against you this day, but against the house with which I have war. For God commanded me to make haste. Refrain from meddling with God, who is with me, lest he destroy you. So he says, look, I'm just passing through. <laughs> I'll pay my toll tax if you want, whatever, but leave me alone. Don't bother me. Don't delay me. Let me go through. And let me go and fight this battle that I've, I've got waging war against. And it was an important battle, and these become the major powers, uh, Syria and Babylon and, and in Egypt. On the two sides, Israel stuck in the middle. And so he says, Josiah, mind your own business. Right? Stay out of it. it. has nothing to do with you at all. Nevertheless, Josiah would not turn his face from him but disguised himself so that he might fight with him. And he did not heed the words of Nacho from the mouth of God. So he came to fight in the valley of Megiddo. Now Megiddo is referred to in the book of Revelation, and we're going to get into more detail in our midweek study of the books of Daniel and Revelation, but, uh, and we have it in the DVD series, Surviving and Thriving. But in brief, in Revelation 16, 14, it says, to gather them to the battle of that great day of God Almighty. So whose battle is it? It's God's battle. It's the great battle of God Almighty. That's clear right from the start. Very important to get off on the table right from the beginning. And it's not the battle of human against human, flesh and blood. We battle not against flesh and blood, right? But against principalities and dark places. This is God's battle. God's going to fight this battle, this great day, this great battle. And he gathered them. Who would be the he? 
God gathered them together into a place called, in the Hebrew tongue, Armageddon. Armageddon, or in Hebrew, Armageddon. Now it's important there that in this phrase, in this sentence, that John wrote, it's called in the Hebrew tongue, Armageddon, or Armageddon. Because he wants us to know what it means in Hebrew. That's why he says, in the Hebrew tongue. It's important to understand it in the Hebrew tongue. And Har, in Hebrew, means mountain. So it's the mountain of Megiddo. But where does Josiah go out to meet Nako? In the valley of Megiddo. And the reason for that is, is because there is no such place as Mountain Megiddo. There is no Mount Megiddo. You look at any mountain map you want, there is no Mount Megiddo. Actually, I'll show you a picture of Megiddo. That is Megiddo. You look at the trees on top of it, and you can see it's not a very high hill, even. And it's actually not even a hill, because it's a man-made hill. It's man-made because there were 20 different civilizations on this spot. And you can see here uh, the, the cut right here in the middle of it. And that cut was done by archaeologists before they did shovel and spade. They, uh, they went and cut this big, huge gap, which they don't do that anymore. And they lost a lot of important uh, archaeological facts that way. But they cut down to get to the bottom civilization, which is down at the bottom of the mountain, or the hill, or the tell. It's really a tell. Just built up dirt. So 20 civilizations, so there was one civilization on ground level in the valley, and they got conquered. And so the new people, they just took some of the rocks from the other one and built on top of the old rubble. And then they got knocked over, and then the new people came, and they built on top of that. And the next group, 20 of them, came and knocked down that one, and next one on top of that one, on top of that one, on top of that one, till you ended up with a little hill of just piles of debris on top of each other. And then the dirt came over the years of it not being used and made this little, again, very narrow, very small hill. When we take in groups of Israel, everybody walks up it. I mean, we just walk. There's no elevator or anything like that. There's no car or train to take you up there. It's just a simple hill. It's not very uh, steep or hard at all. And we walk up to the top and, and look at the archaeological sites up there and from there. From there, and so again, from that tree, you can see the trees on top. It's not very high at all. Um, from there, the view looks like this, down over the valley of Jezreel, the Jezreel Valley, which also in this case was called, known as the, the uh, Valley of Megiddo, um, because of this city of Megiddo. And so this was called the Valley of Megiddo. Now it's called the Jezreel Valley. And it's not a very big valley. You can see across it, on all sides, you can see uh, Nazareth to the left, and, and um, I forget the mountain on the right uh, where Saul is killed. Uh, and then Mount Geboa, thank you. And then a, a, across, and you can see the mountains on the other end. And so that's the whole valley there. You can, again, with naked eye, see all the way across it. Um, and on the map here, that little valley is, you see this word Israel here, not the big word Israel, the one out in the Mediterranean Sea, Israel, right off the edge of the L is about where it is, just south of Haifa is about where it is. We'll zoom in a little bit and get a little closer look. Uh, and so here now the valley is just under the word Israel, 
is where that Jezreel Valley is. And so all of Israel is only about the size of New Jersey. And so we're talking about a very, 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 very small area. Uh, Israel is about half the size of Florida. So that little area up there is maybe the size of Pinellas County. Um, and then here's a, uh, a uh, topographical map to help us understand why the Egyptians would have to go this route through Israel and through this valley. Because you see the mountainous range down the middle and then the mountains of Jordan and of course the Dead Sea and the Sea of Galilee. So they would come from Egypt or if they were attacking Egypt from Babylon, they would come still the same route. They'd come up, of course, the green area, the flat area, right? And so they would come along the Mediterranean Sea and then that little, little green area up here in the top left near Afula, that is the Jezreel Valley and Megiddo is right about there, right near Afula. And so it's just this, again, this area, this small area. And again, that's a very tiny area. And so some teach that the, the battle of the wars of all the nations are going to come and fight against Israel and, and all the armies of the world are going to be in that little valley. I mean, could you picture all the armies of the world fitting into Pinellas County? It's not going to happen. Um, and that's not how they fight wars nowadays anyway. You don't send all your you know, chariots and horsemen and, 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 and foot soldiers and, and just fight in a valley anymore. I mean, you stand far, far away and you send missiles, right? You know? So it's not, it's not what it's describing. It said it's the battle of God Almighty. Well, if it's God's battle, who will God be fighting? Satan, Hasatan. That's right. It's the battle. It's the great battle, the last battle to end all battles. Right, because that's where the, where did the battle start? Where does the Bible tell us the battle started? In heaven. There was war in heaven. Right, and then Satan got cast down, and he got cast down to this earth, and then Yeshua followed him down here, and they fought a battle, and Yeshua won. He lived without sin, and went to death for us, carrying our sins upon him, and defeated Satan every step of the way, through uh, Satan trying to kill him at birth, and, and uh, at a young age, and God protected him, and he survived, and he won. And then when he got called into the, full-time ministry, uh, in his immersion, Satan was tracking him down and trying to tempt him in the wilderness. And Yeshua gained the victory there. And all the way along, gained the victory over temptation, and then gained the victory for us on Calvary by dying for our sins. And so he defeated him in the, the real great battle. This last battle is the final war. And it's the battle of God Almighty, and he's fighting against Satan. So are they going to gather in this little valley in northern Israel, and God and Satan are going to duke it out? Why does it use this valley of Megiddo? Why does it talk about this mountain of Megiddo when there is no mountain of Megiddo? It's because it's saying it's the mountain of battles, that it's the key location. And throughout the Bible and history, that's why 20 civilizations occupied Megiddo, because they knew if you controlled that little strait right there, everyone from modern-day Europe or, or modern-day Russia or modern-day Iraq or Africa needed to go and travel through any of those three areas to each other, whether for trade or for war, you had to come through this area. And so whoever puts up the toll booth there 
Whoever controls that spot controls it all. And especially to be able to control Israel. Whoever owns that owns this portion of land. Whoever puts their army there, Solomon built stables there that are still there today. The remnants of Solomon's gates are still there today. We'll see them on a trip to Israel this year. And again, many of the other civilizations that, uh, that, that we can still see the remnants of. And so 20 different civilizations knew that spot was crucial. Not much there that makes it important, other than it's the crucial location for putting a fort and protecting that corner in order to protect that trade route and control who's coming in, who's going out, and everything. And that's where Nico go, Josiah goes to meet Nico because he knows it's a narrow place. This is where if I'm going to stop him anywhere. This is the place to stop him. But he gets beyond here. I, I can't get him. And before it's too wide. And so he goes to that narrow spot and meets him there because he also had uh, a fort there, a military installation there. And so that's where he fights him. And that's where, again, all these different 20 civilizations put their main spot. And so that's why it's meaning the mountain of Megiddo, the mountain of battles, the great battle to end all battles at the crucial spot that whoever wins this battle controls the area. And what are God and Satan fighting over? Control of the universe. universe. But what will be the key to who gains control or who has control of the universe? What's the key area in the universe that if you have that, you have control of the whole universe? Here, this world, right? They're fighting over this world. This is where the battle has come down to. That's why Satan tried to win it here. That's why he offered to Yeshua in one of those temptations. I'll give you all the world if you will just bow down to me. You can have all the world. Of course, if he bowed down to him, he'd lose not only the whole world, he'd lose the whole universe. That's what he wants. He wants the world and thus the universe. He knows if he can gain the foothold and win this world, he can win the universe. And so this is the key area. This is the Megiddo of the universe. This is where God's going to put his new Jerusalem. This is where God's going to put his capital. And so this is where the battle has to take place. And not necessarily little this little about, but it's over this world that this battle is going to take place. The mountain of battles, the mountain of Megiddo for the key to the whole universe is what it's describing in that last battle. And so throughout Revelation, it gives symbols or analogies from the first part of the Bible so that we can learn from those stories figuratively of what's going to happen in the last day events. Not that, again, literally there's going to be a battle there. Um, but it's the battle, it's representative. The battles that took place there a representation of the major battle. So, let's go back to Josiah and find out what happened with his battle against Nico. Verse 23, The archers shot King Josiah, and the king said to his servants, Take me away, for I am severely wounded. His servants brought him to Jerusalem. And there he dies. He died and was buried in one of the tombs of his fathers. All Judea and Jerusalem mourned for Josiah. So Josiah did what was right in the sight of the Lord, followed the Lord, 
read his word, shared his word with others, cleaned the temple, reformed the temple, set up the worship of the Lord, brought other people to the Lord, brought other people and invited them to come, served the Lord faithfully, got rid of the idols in his own life, in his own heart, and, and out of the land. And yet here he blows it. And he ends up dying there. What a sad way to end. And at Megiddo. Jeremiah also lamented for Josiah. And to this day, all the singing men and the singing women speak of Josiah in their lamentations. They made it a custom in Israel, and indeed they are written in the laments. And the rest of the acts of Josiah and his goodness, according to what is written in the law of the Lord and his deeds from first to last, indeed they are written in the book of the king, kings of Israel and Judah. And the people of the land took Jehoahaz, the son of Josiah, and made him king in his father's place in Jerusalem. He's not a good king. He only reigns like three months. God takes him out, and actually Nico, we'll get to that another week, takes him out. And so again, whoever controlled that area controlled the region. Nico, Josiah picks a battle that wasn't his, he loses at Megiddo, and Egypt then ends up becoming the de facto ruler over Israel, and saying who's going to be king and who's not going to be king. That's why again that Armageddon is saying, that's the battle, that's the battle that will control and who will get to dictate and who will get to rule. Now we know from Revelation that God wins that battle, praise the Lord. <clears throat> but Josiah took on a battle that wasn't his and he lost. Let's look back at that text we looked in the beginning. Josiah was eight years old when he became king and he reigned 31 years in Jerusalem he did what was right in the sight of the Lord and walked in the ways of his father, David. He did not turn aside to the right hand or to the left. That could have been so much more. Instead of 31 years, starting at eight years old, he could have reigned 60 years. He could have had another 30 good years. And in those 30 years, if he would have kept pace like he had the first 31 years, the Reformation would have really been able to take hold and would have been generational and a total change could have taken place in Israel. Instead, his son, bad son, and then the next one and the next four, all bad. And then Babylon is able to come in and destroy Judea and Jerusalem and take us captive. The history might have been different. The story might have ended differently. If Josiah did not make this one rash move. As we think of our lives. Are we picking battles that aren't ours? Are we getting in the middle of other people's fights? That don't belong to us? 
have at times or in some area of our life we've mixed up our priorities. It's easy to do. It's easy to so get so involved in the politics of the nation that we live in. We have very little say over it. One little vote every so many years. We can get so wrapped up in that and cause wars. You know, people who've, whose family have unfaced them on Facebook, I know family who've told them, you're not welcome in my home anymore over a political position. We can sometimes take on battles that are not ours. Maybe some battle in our community where we live, our subdivision, our neighborhood, or maybe at school, we can join some picketing something, or and some things it's right to stand for, and we need to stand at times. We need to stand and have political opinions and, 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 and opinions on what happens in our neighborhoods and schools. But some fights aren't ours. And we need to be careful what we choose. There were plenty of political fights and other type of fights that Yeshua could have fought and got involved in. Religious wars he could have taken on the Sadducees, Pharisees, Zealots and gotten between them all. But he kept his mind focused on his calling. He answered their questions when they came to him. But he didn't go looking for fights that weren't his. We can get in religious wars as well. Or we can have interpersonal conflicts with our family or in the family of God in the congregation. And some things are not worth fighting. There are some hills that are not worth dying on. There certainly are some hills that are worth dying on. And Josiah fought those battles as well. Knocking down idols is a battle. He made a lot of enemies, no doubt, that way. And then going to northern Israel and to Israel and knocking down their idols, where he didn't even have jurisdiction, no doubt he made a lot of enemies there. He fought some very important battles, instilling the word of God and reestablishing the temple worship. And the Shabbat services and the Passover and the word of God and reestablishing the Levitical system of worship and songs and ministering. It took a lot of reformation and change. People, we don't like change. But he did good and right when he knew which battles were worth fighting. There are some doctrinal battles that are worth fighting to death. There are some stands that are worth dying for. Some political, some others, and... But there are some that are not. And we need the wisdom of God to know which are and which are not. Doesn't mention Josiah going, taking this in prayer. It says he went out to battle to meet him. Nico tells him, don't come. And even then says, God, and, uh, you know, God has sent me. God is on my side doesn't mention Josiah praying about it. Says he just disguised himself so he can continue to fight. 
Are we fighting fights that we shouldn't be fighting? There's some area of your life. Maybe it's an old battle. Maybe it's a battle of feud with a sibling or a parent or a child or some other relative or friend. Maybe it's time to reconcile. Maybe it's time to reach out a hand and offer a peace. Maybe you're currently involved in some battle, some situation. God says, blessed are the peacemakers. So as we pray tonight, there's some area in your life, past or present, where God's calling you to be a peacemaker instead of a warmonger. As we pray, I'll ask God to give us the grace and for God to go before us, for him to send his angels before us, to soften the other person's heart, and for us to have the right words and the right means to do all that is within us to be at peace with all men. And if they reject it, that's up to them. But to do everything on our part to be at peace with all people. As the scripture says, if you're on your way to the temple and, and with a gift for the Lord and you realize that someone has ought against you, Leave your gift and go and make it right. And then go and pick up your gift and go to the temple and give your gift to the Lord. Make it right. Do what you can on your part. So even if someone has ought against you, maybe you were good. <laughs> maybe you're a good person. <laughs> but maybe they have something against you for some reason. Maybe they're upset about something. Do on our part to try and make peace with that. And certainly if we've been a perpetu- per, uh, per, uh, done something wrong, brought about ill, if we have done something against someone, certainly we should go to them and apologize and make it right as much as we can within ourselves. So if that applies to you, God's bringing to a mind, again, past or present, when we pray, you can surrender that to the Lord. Secondly, if you've gotten in the middle of someone else's battle, remember, Josiah, this didn't have to do anything with him. Nico did not have ought against him. Josiah did not have ought against Nico that we know of. But the king of Egypt had a problem with, I think it's the king of Syria or someone, whoever Karmas is. It's two other people's problems. Sometimes we take sides when we shouldn't be taking sides. It's not uncommon for me to hear a complaint or a story. I think, boy, that other person is horrible. (laughs) Until, of course, I hear their side of the story. And I think, boy, that other person is horrible. (laughs) You know, or whatever. Now, there's always two sides to the story. And, of course, there's there's more than that. There's always the, the one side, the other side, and then there's the truth you know, which is many faceted. But it's so easy for us to hear one side of the story and then to join in the battle against the other person. And if you've been involved in some battle that's not your battle, 
Maybe you haven't actually gone to war, but maybe you've given some collateral assistance. <laughs> maybe you've just given some encouragement. Maybe even being a listening ear helps to fuel their anger and feed it. It's good to listen, but you know, when you realize it's getting to certain parameters, it's important to say, well, you know, if you really want me to get involved in this, I'm going to need to listen to the other person's side also. <laughs> Otherwise, maybe we should end it here, you know. Is this really something I need to be hearing? Is it really something I need to be involved in in the midst of? And sometimes we do need to be in the midst. We need to be peacemakers and reconcilers. But some things we don't need to get involved in. And so if you're involved in someone else's battle that you shouldn't be in, whether, again, actively or passively, currently or maybe in the past, we can repent from mistakes in the past. Maybe it's long gone. Maybe both those other parties are dead or gone or whatever. But if God brings it something to your mind tonight as we review this story and it applies to us, it's good to get our records clean before the Lord. And so if you've been involved or currently involved in someone else's battle, let's surrender that to the Lord before we get killed and lose the nation. And then thirdly, maybe there is some battle that God is calling you to fight. Maybe there is some right that God is calling you to stand for. Maybe there is some temple cleansing that needs to go on, of course, first in our own hearts. Maybe God's calling you to invite someone to the upcoming Passover. Outside of your district, outside of your area, outside of your jurisdiction, or maybe even within. Maybe God is calling for you to restore the law of God, the word of God, and to read it yourself and to read it to the others. Maybe there's some idols that need to be pointed out in your own life and then in others. And if God is impressing that upon your heart so that it can be written upon our names in the record books of heaven, they did what was right in the sight of the Lord turning not to the right hand or the left. I believe that Josiah has a place reserved in heaven for him. But he blew it here, and it affected the lives of millions for many years to come. So even as God brings things to our mind and we repent of them, may we do all that we can in our power to make it right, and to undo the wrongs, and to stay on the right path, and to continue on all the days that the Lord wants us to serve him and live for him. And thankfully, there is forgiveness because the Messiah has died for us as the sacrifice. So whatever mistakes we've made, whatever problems we've gotten involved in, whatever ought we've done to others, whatever feelings we have towards others, we can receive the sacrifice of the Messiah and receive full forgiveness of sins, full cleansing, 
and they can take the anger and the bitterness and the wrath and the busy body, the gossip and the nosiness and take it out of us and put in us pure hearts and clean hearts and right words and right actions so we can be a blessing and bring peace and bring reconciliation and not a stir of strife. So let's pray together if any of those areas apply to you as we pray. Let God do his work, his mighty work in each of our lives. Our Lord and our God, ruler of the universe, we praise your name that you are faithful and you are fearfully and wonderful, that you are merciful, that you look down upon us and you have the plans for us and you've given us examples like this. We're thankful, Lord, that you came to bring peace and you want to bring peace in our hearts and peace in this world. And so work in us to be your messengers of peace. We're thankful, Lord, you're also a man of war and that you will defeat Satan once and for all in that great battle, that mountain of battles, where he will be destroyed and all his angels with him and all who side with him. Thank you that you will win. And we want to be on your side. Thank you for bringing to our minds areas that we need to reform and change and ways that we can be a blessing and that we can be used by you. Work your will in our life. In Yeshua's holy name, amen.